This is On Location. I'm Tim Leitner. Today's episode comes to you on location from the Commonwealth of Virginia and the state of Illinois. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. On this episode, Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams continues her series on NCS 2021 awards by having a conversation with Barbara Lucina, Division Director of the Commonwealth of Virginia's Division of Child Support Enforcement, the recipient of the 2021 NCIA National Emerging Leader Award. They talk about recognizing Barbara's ongoing and impactful accomplishments since being appointed to her position in January of 2020 and what it was like to take on a new responsibility as a new director during the onset of the COVID pandemic. They also discuss leadership skills that were utilized to meet critical challenges, to deliver high quality services to the families that are served across the Commonwealth, and how focusing first on building relationships was key to connecting with people and to build credibility. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams. Welcome to NCIA On Location. Today, it's my pleasure to host a conversation with a recognized leader in the child support community. Each year, the National Child Support Enforcement Association recognizes individuals and teams who have made significant contributions to the child support program in their jurisdiction. At the August 2021 Leadership Symposium in Austin, Texas, NCIA announced the recipients of these coveted awards, and it's my pleasure to introduce Barbara Lucina, Division Director of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Division of Child Support Enforcement. Barbara received the National Emerging Leader Award in recognition of her ongoing and impactful accomplishments since she was appointed to her position in January 2020. Welcome, Barbara, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Pat. I'm very pleased to be here. Before we get started, can I just say, wow, leading a statewide child support program is both a challenging and a rewarding role, but to take on this new responsibility and two months later be thrust into a global pandemic and continue to deliver high quality services to the families across the Commonwealth, your leadership skills were critical to meet the challenges each day presented. Barbara, Can you share your background and how your experiences led you to your current role? Pat, I began my child support career in 1992 as a frontline caseworker, which is a job that I did for several years before taking on roles of increasing responsibility. And in those early years, I had the benefit of some colleagues and 
particularly several strong leaders who mentored me and who were innovative and really had a great deal of influence on shaping not only my understanding of the child support program, but also my desire to move into leadership roles within the program. One of the things, though, that I have to say is probably most influential to me is that experience in those early years of direct service delivery to parents. That has to be the most significant piece of the foundation of my child support profession over the last 30 years. And the reason for that, I believe, is that effective leadership in the child support program can be tremendously elevated by having had direct contact with the parents and the families that we serve. Hearing, well, really listening, developing empathy, responding to their individual needs, uh, probably most of all, observing their reactions and the results on their cases. Uh, those are pieces that bring an understanding to leadership that is difficult to cultivate in any other way. And along with that is the experience of working within the program's processes, procedures, policies, laws and regulations, and as a caseworker who is striving to make a difference for families, there is some insight that develops around how we might improve the program, how we might better serve parents. And that combination of experiences is the path that I was put on early and have followed on the road to becoming a child support leader that is modeled after some of those early leaders that I was fortunate enough to work with. That, that makes perfect sense. Your journey sounds very interesting, and I agree. Sitting across a desk from a family member and knowing that you're making an impact on their lives and on the lives of their children, I think becomes burned into your memory and is always a guiding force in how you go forward. So thank you for sharing that. If you think back to March 2020, when the world really changed in an instant, how did you prioritize the myriad of decisions that had to be made and executed so quickly? I am fortunate to have joined a truly remarkable leadership team here in the Virginia Division of Child Support Enforcement. Pat, you may know that my boss, Craig Bersham, is also my predecessor. Yes. And he had built a foundation that enabled us to respond in a more agile way than some of my colleagues in other states, and which to some degree reduced those crisis management, that overwhelming sense of crisis management, and shifted it more toward seizing opportunities for immediate programmatic responses that really now have become 
permanent innovations and process improvements. The leadership team that I joined, the five operations directors, their reaction time was immediate. It was instant. And their acceptance of dramatic and likely permanent change was so complete that we were able to surge forward and really not waste any time hoping things would go back to the way they were. They were ready for change. They'd been preparing for change. So I want to be clear about taking minimal credit for being able to respond in the way that we did and to instead shift and share that credit with the folks who were on my most immediate team. I would actually also like to credit my colleagues from other states. And I just quickly mentioned that some other states were struggling with things just that Virginia was ready to do. Everyone already had a laptop. Many people had already been teleworking a day, sometimes two days a week. So we were very prepared to just pick up our things and go home. And some of my colleagues in other states did not have that advantage. So their myriad of decisions really was much larger than ours. But we instantly formed a, and by we, I mean the child support directors from you know, all the states and DC and territories. And we just really bonded and really started working together very diligently on every aspect of what the program reaction might be. What waivers do we need to request? What messaging do we need to be prepared for on the offsets of these economic impact payments? How are we going to manage intergovernmental cases? So there were those supporting relationships as well as my immediate team. And when everyone is in crisis together, there is an immense amount of collaborative spirit that emerges. When we're doing our normal, ordinary work, there's a lot of more opportunity, I should say, for debate and for there to be items put on pause. Let's think about that. Let's give that a little more analysis. Let's, let's take some time to think about how we really want to approach that. Those measured responses and those differences of many times small differences of opinions can't really be managed very well in a crisis. We really have to all get on board very quickly and all be going in the same direction. And thankfully, we were able to accomplish that, particularly here in Virginia, and I believe as well on a national scale. Yeah, the, the child support community just delivered an outstanding response, hard to imagine the circumstances. You know, we've all heard about pandemics for a long time, but none of us have lived through them. And so this was really quite an education, I think, for all of us. But it's good to hear that that collaborative spirit not only permeated your immediate team, but also across the country with your collegiate team. You're the director of a significant division, Barbara, charged with doing critical work that impacts tens of thousands of families. And the staff you rely on to carry out those responsibilities doesn't know you at all. You're brand new. So what leadership skills were most beneficial to you as you led your team into the unknown? 
focusing first on building relationships was really helpful. And uh, honestly, I wish this is a question that my immediate leadership team and also that at all levels of the division could actually answer for me. <laughs> I would love for them to tell you what they perceived from me as being most beneficial. My effort was to not focus so much on leadership itself as to focus on building relationships. They were folks that I did not know. And even the immediate leadership team had really only had about six weeks to interact with me. And much of that time was not a daily interaction. A weekly meeting is more like it. And so even they were really not in a position to even be able to convey on my behalf a level of trust that they had been able to develop in me. And so rather than to be able to follow through on a very early and ambitious plan to hop in the car and make my way around the Commonwealth and visit the 16 district offices that we have, I had to resort to other means to connect with people and do that relationship building. I did have a chance to visit a couple of offices in those first six weeks, but only two. And so that really was a dramatic approach, a shift in approach that I had to take. So by May, I think, or maybe June, no, I think the first one was in May, we had organized a series of coffee and conversation, which was just simply a virtual meeting where everyone was encouraged to ask questions, to express concerns, to offer suggestions, and to really just try to build some camaraderie around the situation that we found ourselves in. But I also offered it up as an opportunity for people to ask me questions about myself if they would like to do that. I shared quite a bit of information about my career path, the time I spent as a caseworker and in various other roles. And to some degree, that may have been a helpful component as well. Many times, credibility can be built quickly when there is the understanding of the role that folks are in by a leader who has been in that same role. And so I did emphasize that I have been a caseworker, I've been a supervisor, I've been a regional administrator. And in those roles, I am familiar with what each of those individual levels of responsibility might be feeling. And then we developed a series of just other styles and types of communications to keep people engaged. We developed what is now known as the Monday morning message. I think that was up and running by about September of 2020, where I recorded the first one and then it was open to anyone, everyone, managers, supervisors, caseworkers, and we recorded just snippets, two minutes to five minutes of a message to our colleagues to start off the week. Every Monday morning, a Monday morning message. We had virtual office visits where, again, 
we scheduled very, this time much smaller groups. So in large offices, we had several office visits for each of those offices so that groups of maybe 20 to 25. And we talked again about specifics. How are things going? Where are we with the development of our next technology solution? How are customers feeling? You know, all of those conversations that needed to be had. And then sprinkled throughout there, we were also making sure that staff had the opportunity for input both on innovations and decisions that we were making in roles like engaging with them on work groups and having them to make suggestions about best practices for some of the process innovations we were doing. But we were also reaching out and gathering input anonymously, just simply about how people were feeling, how they were balancing work life, what they needed from their supervisors and from leadership, whether or not they felt as though they had access to enough information and communication. And the results of a lot of those opportunities for feedback were very positive and told us that we were moving in the right direction. We were making the right decisions. Um, we did have some areas for improvement always, but that for the most part, we were striking a good balance. And so there are likely folks out in the teams who maybe still feel like they don't necessarily know me <laughs> at all or know me a little bit, but we definitely have made significant, deliberate efforts to bring myself and actually the leadership team closer to everyone in that regular communication and that connection approach. So it sounds like building relationships and communication were the key components of the methods and the techniques that you use to really get to know your team while you could not meet in person. And I can't imagine two better ways to, to kick that off and to sustain that because the benefits are ongoing for you and your team. So how are you able to collaborate with different programs, stakeholder communities, such as the courts, the advocacy groups, and parents to share plans and, and set expectations? This part was not as easy. This required my relying on the members of our team who were closer and already had relationships with some of those stakeholders. I was part of a few virtual meetings. I sent out a few letters and communications to you know, courts and so forth. We also very much blanketed our public website and our call center representatives uh, scripts that they use with lots of information to share with parents, set expectations, share information, answer questions, and those types of things. But really, it it does become when there is that disconnect, and in my particular case, the lack of familiarity that people had with me, it does become then the opportunity for other team members to really be the representative of the division. And I was happy to 
engage folks in that role. So whether it was some of our court specialists or our attorneys really talking directly with the courts and with judges, which they tend to do regularly anyway, then relying on them to be our messengers, preparing talking points for them about the messaging, of course, but also our supervisory or specialist level staff interacting with other stakeholders, community partners that we were in the habit of meeting with in person regularly, our partners in corrections, our partners in juvenile justice, our partners in foster care and other Department of Social Services programs. And then clearly we have call center representatives and we have staff members who are talking all day, every day to parents. And their messaging was probably the most impactful. And that was a reassurance that we're still here. We're not closed. We have never had one minute of downtime, regardless of whether it's March 19th or you know, December 19th, that we are committed to continuing to offer not just the services that we had prior, but to new and better services and to instruct and inform parents about ways that those services are now perhaps more accessible than they were before. So we're starting up text messaging. We didn't have that before. While there were some customers that we emailed, we didn't have messaging through our portal. We started that up. The ability to upload your documents into your case through the portal as opposed to mailing them and the ability to retrieve documents that same way. New payment options, moving payment kiosks to more accessible locations where they're in a vestibule that's still open in the business park where our office is located. Lots of ways that we were expanding our services and the personal communications that staff and call center folks were having with parents and families on a daily basis were the conduit to getting that information out there, sharing plans, information, and and really setting their expectations and expanding, frankly, their expectations about what might be possible for accessing their case and accessing our services. Thank you for sharing that. That's critically important to continue to reassure everyone in the process that life will continue and in some cases even improve. So thank you for that. As you look back, of what accomplishments would you say you're most proud? I'm most proud of the recognition that individuals and teams across the division have received over the course of the last year. So not the least of which is another podcast recording that I think you and, and or your colleagues are doing for the NCIA yes. Leadership Award on Program Awareness. Yes. I spoke our, to Mary Ellen last week. Yeah. Great. And and so Mary Ellen's team and her accomplishments are some of the things that I am most proud of, along with many other accomplishments that have been recognized at various levels. So our department, the Virginia Department of Social Services, has had a number of recognitions over the course of the last year and a half, 
and child support individuals and teams have been among those recognitions frequently, almost every single month. And last December, when the governor issued his Governor's Honor Awards for 2020, our program operations director, Elena Tucker, was recognized by the governor as being a champion of change for the work that she and her teams led and her colleagues in the leadership team across the division in reaction to and response to the pandemic, but certainly to make those innovations and changes permanent for the long-term improvement of our program. So the accomplishments of individuals and teams and having them recognized are the things that I'm really the most proud of. So what would you say your lessons learned have been both personally and professionally? I think one of the most important lessons is that there's really something to operating on a regular basis as though we never know where the next crisis might be. We have become so comfortable in the routine of our daily office business, of our paper and our phone calls, and we really did not have, and I don't mean we here in Virginia, because as I mentioned before, my predecessor and the leadership team that I've joined actually had done a great job of charting new paths without really having a crisis to propel them. But we as a child support community, I believe, could do very well. And it's frankly happening. I'm observing it all across the country in the adoption of new practices, things like ongoing virtual hearings for child support cases and replacing open lobbies and customer walk-ins with a virtual style of video conferencing with customers on demand and those types of things. And so that really to me is the lesson is just to in some ways stay in the reaction type mode that can also mean you're always prepared. You're always thinking about what might be around the corner and that you have, without necessarily always a need for it, you've anticipated and you have become very adept at preceding the crisis with planning, right? So it's not crisis management, but it, it's the preparation before that. And when we are thinking about always managing forward as opposed to managing today and managing in the moment, again, I see us being much more collaborative, much more deliberate, and avoiding some of those cycles that we get into of analysis paralysis. And that's a project that can wait until next week or next month or next year that we really bring ourselves to a mindset that incorporates an urgency, but isn't reactionary. Yep, uh, that makes perfect sense. Yep. So what would your advice to those aspiring to leadership positions be? Be courageous. 
cultivate a level of comfort with making bold decisions and standing by them, supporting them clearly with data and facts, needs analyses and information. The changes that are necessary for us to continue to serve families effectively, to meet the needs of families effectively, will require that we are courageous enough to make bold decisions. At the same time, that same courage means that we also are able to say that particular bold decision wasn't exactly right. Let's refine it. Let's make some changes and continuously improve based on the ability to incorporate vision in a very meaningful way, to not see vision as something that will happen two or three years from now, but to be bringing the vision to today and to the moment. Excellent advice. Barbara, thank you for sharing your perspectives and your experiences with us today. You provide a truly inspiring example of how to successfully lead when the world is changing around you. Again, I'm Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams, and thank you for joining us. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location.